Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard and in a different studio today, Sam. We are, we are, but by the same token, not far from, you know, the whole world. Five steps, by the way. Now, I've got a question for you, Leon. Please do. Yes. Uh, and I've been musing on this topic for some time. Now, you were at the helm of a, uh, well, a successful club in a certain era, perhaps not in your era. But I want you to, I want to put you in this position. You're the president of a club that's on the verge of playing finals. There's every, every possibility of playing finals football. You know, you've made a marked improvement in your performances. You all of a sudden have a midweek break. Now, one of the most critical components of that side is an individual, somewhat erratic, but a very, very good player that is an imperative for you to get from base camp to the summit. So you have this hiatus, mid-season hiatus, and he opts, after a litany of transgressions, opts for an overseas trip. How would you have handled that? Because I'll tell you for why. The guy, the guy in question is Jordan Ngoi. We've all heard of the... Oh, uh, I think uh, most of us understand We know. That. It is akin to letting him go to Bali and doing what he did, to giving a pyromaniac or an arsonist a box of matches, putting him up in the dandenongs in the middle of summer with a howling northerly and telling him to behave. How would you have handled it? Well, I think I think Lewis uh, uh, was right on television. He said that he's amazed that the contract allowed him to do that. In fact, he said that the contract disallowed him from doing that. Once you sign on, there's a whole lot of bylaws, clauses, if you like, yeah. clauses that would say normally in a contract that you have to get permission to go overseas or to play other sports or do other things that are going to have the potential of ruining your team's chances to go further towards the summit in your right. language. So I, I was a bit surprised that the contract he's got with Collingwood, a lad, a bloke, and let's say like the goey with, with the form he's got. Yes. Yeah, you because know, obviously he's got an issue, uh, like a lot of young people has, but he's got the double issue of being a superstar player or potentially superstar. And it attracts the uh, relentless so, squad. Of course he does. There are going to be telephones everywhere. There's going to be a, a microscope. So uh, it stood out like the... Proverbial. Yeah, that they should have had a contract that said, hey, listen, sunshine, here's your record. Uh, you're on big money. See, he's on nearly a million a year. I know, but it's quite conceivable there would have. Someone's had to tick off on it. Um, or... Yeah, maybe I not. Know. I don't know. But I don't I, know what sort of bloke he is, but uh, he, he just might have. I think he's a decent sort of guy. I've met him money casually, so I don't really know. But by all reports, a decent sort of a guy. But I think he behaves. He makes some very poor choices. Now he could have gone to Bali and could have hired himself a villa, you know, uh, fill the place up with a uh, couple of renters or whatever they do. I don't got no idea. But uh, why would you put yourself on centre stage in the most popular place in uh, in Bali and uh, put yourself on public display? Interesting. I'm reading a book about John Coleman, the the great John Coleman, and he had issues too. Uh, He was apparently uh, given a very bad time. Now I saw Coleman as a kid. You know, not when he was a kid. When I was a kid, and uh, he was brilliant. I mean, you really barracked for Coleman, uh, no matter who your real team was. Uh, But he got. 
swallowed up in in this business of retaliation, you know, because yeah. he was he was badly handled by blokes like Jack Hamilton and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, the North Melbourne fullback was a beauty apparently, McCorkle. Yeah, Jock McCorkle. And uh, all the other, I mean, Mopsy Fraser and all those guys. And so he's belted up regularly. And after a very short time, he had a short fuse, John Coleman, apparently. Uh, very nice bloke. Everybody says he was a great Lovely guy. Bloke. But he had this short fuse, and full forwards were belted around. And, um, and I, I, I think the book is implying that Essendon really didn't do enough to protect him. So, yeah. so these people, I don't know, they're, they're probably over. Analyzed and, and but that comes with the territory. You, yeah. You've got to understand that. And uh, I don't think Goey's ever. I I don't think he's even interested in that. He's just a young bloke wants to have a good time, wants yeah. to make a million dollars as well. I don't think he can do them both good. No, Jordan, I think you've just got to make your mind up whether you're going to be a Fairningham athlete or you're going to be a playboy. I just thought, yeah, exactly. Look, I'm a I'm a partner guy. I think he's a very nice guy. I think from what I've met him, he's a nice guy. But I just would have thought Collingwood <laughs> would have been a bit more prudent in the handling of the situation, given the circumstances leading up to yeah. it and the, and the potential uh, outcome that, that evolved, which puts everyone in a terrible position. Easy after the event, but, you yeah, reckon exactly. after, but this is not the first time it's happened to start players. That's and, what I'm saying. And you'd reckon that those people that write these contracts, maybe it's a, maybe it's a consequence of having team, uh, managers uh, around who are yeah. smarter than the officials and they, they just More demanding delete and, yeah. all these and... Uh, yeah, and they put them up for offer every couple of years, and you know, I'll, I'll blow it if I know, but it doesn't seem right. It's not, it's not right. It's not fair on the Collingwood supporters. It, no. You know, they're, they're, they stakeholders, all the stakeholders. Anyhow, we're not the moral guardians of the land, and I'm certainly not sitting in judgment. I'm just throwing it out in the middle. I think I can recall one or two incidents of my own accord. Well, uh, I wasn't going to mention you. All right, okay, move on. Let's. Uh, we got. Have we got anyone today, Leo? We have do. We have. In fact, the trailblazer. Now, yes. Karen, Karen Ma, spelt M-A-A-R, was a superstar basketball player um, in the 70s and got into the 80s too. Yeah. Um, Karen, I remember very well as a, a player when ba- women's basketball particularly was co- – in fact, basketball overall was just coming up through the ranks, you know. Uh, we had, infancy, uh, yeah. It had its ups and downs in men's basketball, but the women were just starting to get – Really recognised, and, uh, yeah. and she was one of our best players. Went to three world championships, yep. and she joins us now. Now, Karen Ma, good morning to you. And in fact, do we call you Karen McRoberts now, which is probably right and proper? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Karen McRoberts now, but um, I really answer to anything, Leon. Good morning, Sam and Leon. Good I, morning, I, Karen. I put an S on that McRoberts, and I shouldn't have because I crossed it on my on my. Course, you, these should, are, you should know better, Leon. Well, I know because I, I know you're old man. We were dancing partners in it in uh, in <laughs> Ireland when we were. Oh. We went, we went around all the, all the racing studs with Jerry Ryan and all those yeah. guys. And Stuart yeah. McRobert was a very fine commercial artist. Yeah. Yes, graphic designer, that's him. Uh, designer? Yeah, graphic designer. Uh, graphic designer. Well, he couldn't yeah. spell graphic and he couldn't spell designer. But, uh, well, after a day with you and late at night, I can well believe it. And really. there were some late nights, if I remember. Uh, K- Karen... Um, We've really got you online to talk about um, trailblazing in sport. And if we can hit the target straight away, apart from all those world championships and all that sort of stuff, the interesting part about you is that you were one of the first international teams ever to go to China. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it was 1974 and uh, we were invited by the that time was Red China, obviously under Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong's era. And so we went and uh, it was just a, such an eye-opener. I mean, you know, we were just treated like royalty and sitting down to eight-course meals and all this sort of stuff. And at the end of the, each meal, they had this this drink. I don't know what it was. It tasted like a rocket fuel. And you'd say, Gumbai, and everyone had a drink it, you know, and we're like, oh, Gumbai. my gosh. Might have been a Mitchelton Shiraz. <laughs> oh, it was like, <laughs> yeah, Gumbai part. white and looked like and tasted like rocket fuel. But, look, the interesting part about it was, as we were travelling around, they took us everywhere. We went up the, climbed the wall, went to, you know, heaps of temples and God knows what. But everybody in China was dressed identically in these sort of dark blue outfits. It didn't matter if you're a peasant in the field or a neurosurgeon. Gee, Everyone uh, just uh, exactly Police the must have had a good... Uh, now, did you see the uh, the assault? Oh, yeah, he was dressed in... Blue. Oh, was he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That will narrow down to Everyone dressed the same. And there was no advertising whatsoever. The only thing you ever saw anywhere was pictures of Chairman Mao. That was it. There were no shops... We were taken to like what was called a friendship store to to buy any kind of souvenir type things. The stadiums that we played in were actually quite good and and uh, better than what we expected. Quite big stadiums, and as you come up, there were thousands of bikes. No one drove cars. There were just all bikes everywhere. It was just um, just a really, real, really different experience for someone you know coming from a western country and we went to we asked to go to the zoo to see the panda bears and this was in not just in fact in those days it was called peking but we flew to a place called Chinchow, and we wanted they had this big zoo there so we went to the zoo well we didn't get to see the panda bears because everybody was these they'd never seen a caucasian before so they were just crowded around us and grabbing my hair because my hair was blonde and looking at my eyes because they were blue. And they were just, it was just an amazing thing because they had absolutely no sort of uh, media or, or television or anything like that. So these people had never even seen a Caucasian person. <coughs> so it was, it was an amazing tour. It really was. Karen, uh, how closely were you screened? Were you treated with uh, a degree of suspicion on arrival? Were you followed around? No, oh, well, we had a, a, a like a tour guide. Yeah, you would have had a tour guide. But... For our every... Miss Mao, her name was. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, oh, no, no, we weren't at all. I mean, they didn't sort of, like, take our passports or anything like that. It was just... They treated us like royalty, to be honest. It was, it was you know, um, more than, uh, well... Welcoming as they could be, let's say. Let's uh, who, who was your manager? That would be a big role for, for who had that job? Yes, it was um, a lady called Betty Watson, and she was wonderful. And we, look, it, everything was already pre programmed, if you could say. We yeah. more or less just arrived, and then they had their agendas and schedules all sort, sorted out, and off we went, and we played these games, and we played their national team, but we played their army team which was even better than their national team. We won the games, but, you know, the stadiums were packed and if we'd score a goal, they'd just clap nicely. If they scored a goal, they'd just clap nicely. It was like a... <laughs> it was very strange to play 
asking. But yeah, no, it was an experience. It was and a, what was the purpose of it all, Karen? Was that to it was open China up to the bigger world, or it was a liaison type thing? You know, governments, you know, organised it between themselves, and uh, yeah, and the, and they decided that this women's basketball team, the Australian women's basketball team, was the team that would go on behalf of Australia. Don't I remember uh, what we called ping pong or table tennis being one of the breakthrough sports uh, between the two countries too? Well, that's possibly so. Um, I think it opened a lot of doors actually, that tour, because it was very successful. And I think after that, there was quite a lot of teams that toured, you know, after we went. And yeah, I mean, table tennis is one of their biggest sports as well. So that they definitely would have gone too, I would think. But yeah, but we were the trailblazers in that. Let's go, back to, let's go back to local shores. Tell us a little yep. bit about the Karen Ma story. Estonian by birth. Uh, were you born here? No, or? No, um, my parents were Estonian. I was born in um, Melbourne. Right, you're born in Melbourne? Um, the you, double A-R, that's what the name is, Estonian, yeah. Right, <laughs> okay. Schooling, where were you schooled? Where was I schooled? Yeah, what's your alma mater? Oh, sorry, Buckley Park High School I went to. Buckley in Park, yeah, not was, a very I good record, but anyhow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Were you a good uh, student? Yes, Sam, and getting back to that to-goey thing, I'll tell you now, I'll bet you you were glad there wasn't any social media back in the day when you played. You're breaking up. <laughs> uh, now, listen, you stick to the uh, terms of reference. I asked the questions. Hey, listen, you answer them. Don't worry about that. You answer them, all right? <laughs> Just so we understand each other very clearly here. <laughs> I'm not Leon, who's softly, softly. Yeah, just a, no. mo- just a moment. I, I've got Karen Murray in front on points here. <laughs> oh, like by the proverbial country mile. So, uh, I'll, tell you, I'll oh. tell you what's an exciting thing that's happening in basketball tomorrow. Lauren Jackson's decided that she's... I saw fine. that. I'll get to her shortly. Yeah. I, I want to get through in some sequential order. Uh, I think Dick, Re- Dick Reynolds is making you come back to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in some sequential order... What led you into basketball, you know, in its infancy in the early days? Was basketball higher in the list of priorities? Or did you have a lot of mates that played basketball? Well, I was always into sports, you know. uh, uh, You know, whatever sport was going, I was just um, athletically minded right from the start. I loved it. And, uh, yeah, I started playing with a team called Dudagella Stars, um, you know, which was in Essendon. And then we played in this comp at the showgrounds. And then I kind of got poached, I guess, and asked to come and play with a team at Albert Park. And so it all sort of started from there. I started playing um, with a team called Telstars, who were in the Victorian Championships. And yeah, and that's how it started. And then just, you know, clearly fell in love with the sport. And yeah, it more or less took over most of my life because I was overseas for probably nearly six, well, not six months, but quite a few months of the year, every year for about 10 years. So, um, yeah, it dominated my life, basically. Just back in those early days, Karen, uh, you mentioned the showgrounds. Uh, yes. Well, most sports, I was a water polo player, and we had a basketball team. We'd play off-season basketball at the showgrounds. That was just um, asphalt. Well, no, this was an indoor... These were indoor um, courts. Well, they, at, must, they must have had a lot of, lot of other courts outside, uh, just just yeah, asphalt. Well, we used to be scarred and bruised. It's cool. Oh, and then... then yes, then, I, I remember going on a lot of um, uh, provi- country tournaments and we'd be playing on outdoor courts. So this 
tour we did of Queensland once, we, we slept in hay bales and God knows what, at Innisfail and places like that, and played on outdoor courts. And, yeah, plenty of bruises and, <laughs> and scrapes and God knows what. But it was all fun and all part of um, the evolution of basketball, women's basketball back then. And when you went to Albert Park, was Lindsay Gaze the manager there? Yes, Lindsay was the man. Um and uh, I actually worked for the VBA for quite a while too under Lindsay and he was a, just a wonderful man and a good friend. Um, yeah, and like I remember Albert Park was sort of where I started playing serious basketball. I mean, I would have been about 14, I suppose, by the time I started playing there. And uh, I remember watching little Andrew running around when he grew up. He was just a little boy then, but... Um, yeah, I mean... He's never a, grown up, you know that. What's that? He's never grown up, no. <laughs> he, he's got the eternal <laughs> youth a, about him. He's he a is. lovely man. And he's he, he, he is so. A Drewy superstar. Out of Lindsay. Like, he's, he's, just, he's just like his father. Yeah, they're both great guys. Karen, in those early days, you know, the Australian makeup of the Australian side or the touring side, you know, some of the great names were, what, Robin Maher? Michelle Kims. Robin. Oh, well, Timsey was just a bit after me, but I played in two uh, World Cups with Robin. Um, And, oh, so you just make lifelong friends, Sam. It's just a wonderful way to, uh, you know, when you go through and you win championships together, like our team that we won when we won the WNBL, um, that we, we just stay in touch all the time. We get together at least two or three times a year. And, um, yeah, you just make such great lifelong friends and we're always there for each other and and just have so much fun whenever we get together because you've, you've sort of reached the pinnacle together and you've, you've won, you know, the biggest award WNBL in Australia as a team, as a, as a you know, like a, a team, not a state team, but a, a club team. And, you know, when we won that, that year, we were probably quite possibly one of the best teams in the world because there was no WNBA back then and the European comp was just nowhere near as good as Australia and yeah winning the WNBL was just as good as it was going to get for a club team so yeah we've we've forged friendships from that and uh, yeah we still you know keep in touch with each other follow each other's lives and even though I'm living in Warrnambool now I still see you know them three or four times a year and actually two of the girls that were in the team with me Tammy Good and Chris Saunders both live in Warrnambool now there you go now you're a Hall of Famer you went to three world championships but you missed out on the Olympics now what was the storyline there okay well in 76 was the first year that um, women's basketball was introduced into the Olympics and we didn't qualify uh, there was only six teams in the Olympics then, women's teams, and really only five because uh, one of the teams was a host team. Mm. So host country gets their team in automatically. And then come Moscow, we didn't send a team. It was a Russian thing that didn't happen. And then, yeah, and then I retired in 83 from Australian teams, and then, um, which was, well, because we didn't actually qualify for LA either, but... Cuba pulled out at the last minute, which allowed the team to go. But I'd already chucked it in then. But I kept playing WNBL until '90. Karen, what about uh, you know when you talk about the '70s? You talk about your uh, overseas excursions. 
yeah, which is predominantly funded by the association. Do you marvel now at uh, some of the great you know, wage packets that the women get in women's basketball all around the world? Not only in America, I'm talking about Europe. It's huge. Oh, Russia. yes, it's, it's, it's huge everywhere now. I mean, we basically did a lot of fundraising back in our day. Like, yeah, to, to go away, I know. Yeah, I mean, when at the actual World Championships, which is now called the World Cup, which, interestingly enough, is in Australia this year, at the end of September in Sydney is the World Cup of, of women's basketball. And so um, it's a completely different scenario. Now, we used to get paid when we're away per day for World Cups and Championships. But for other tours that we went on, um, we, we more or less had to pay. They would fund certain things, but we still had to have our own money and stuff like that and find it and fundraise and whatever. What? But, yeah, touching on that, this, the World Cup, which is, used to be called the World Championships, is now called the World Cup, is in Sydney um, the end of September till the the last week of September till the 1st of October, I think, is the um, gold medal games, like the medal games. So that's in Sydney this year, which is pretty exciting, and I think most of the networks have picked it up. But, um, yeah, so that, so that's that's a good thing for Australian basketball, women's basketball. Now, talking about world championships, uh, you'd remember the 79 uh, world championships. Uh, the team, or oh, was it 79? Yes. It's sort of hot and cold. Um, you beat Italy, then you uh, lost three in a row, then you beat Japan, and you finished fourth. So a bit of luck and running, you would have been in the medals. Yeah, that's right. And like I say, we would have gone to Moscow the following year, um, if, you know, if, if Australia had a centre team, but we did, chose not to send one for whatever political reasons back then. I can't even remember, to be honest. But, um, yeah, no, look, the first um, one I went to was in um, Colombia, and um, I think we... Um, I can't remember where... But we, we did pretty well, considering we were just newbies, really, because um, South America are a massive basketball country um well continent well not just not just colombia but every you know the whole continent is just mad about basketball so um that was a real experience to go there and then we went then we went to seoul in korea and that was 79 and 83 was in brazil in rio so karen tell me uh, all these various uh it must have been terribly exciting going to the airport and saying, "Well, I'm going to uh, going to Brazil. I'm going to Seoul. I'm going to Japan. I'm going to America. All these and varying different red China and red yeah. China and all yeah, these. Yeah. Di- well, and all, now these and all the, no, no, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> and all these different cultures. Stop interrupting me. And all these different cultures. So, yeah. how did you adjust? Tell me some of the experiences you had. Did you go out at night and sort of? Uh, you know, and indulge in their uh, respective cultures, to the nightclubs oh. or what? Did uh, Karen, oh, is this no, worth we, waiting for? No, but it's interesting insight. It is. I'm interested. You know, you would have gone to China and, and, and brought home two chopsticks and say, "Look, oh, here I am." Don't but there must have. Been, had, I, I only bought one. Think. It was cheaper. <laughs> I don't think they had nightclubs in China. Then. No, I'm not saying. I'm he he would have found one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, we did, we did, we did um, uh, 
get into the cultures and Brazil was terrific because where we stayed, we stayed on um, near Copacabana Beach and there were all markets and all sorts yeah. of public cafes and stuff. So we sort of got a ha- got a bit of a hang of the Portuguese language by the time we were there. We were there uh, about did you perform at the Mardi Gras? <laughs> no. The, 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 uh, oh, that was Leon, by the way. <laughs> no, but, um, we didn't. We didn't go during carnival season. But in Colombia, we did a, a about a two month tour before we actually um, played in the. We played it. What in Bogota? Bogota, Bucaramanga. But we Noriega did, owned the place then. No, we but we travelled through like Peru and Ecuador and Chile and did a lot of travelling as round playing games leading up to the actual world championships which was just fantastic cultural like i mean bolivia places like that that you know uh, you know you just didn't because we just the world was a big place back then you know you didn't have the internet or you didn't have you didn't really know what what you were going to see and uh just yeah no it was i mean chile when we were in chile there was an earthquake (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but apparently that was quite common. Happens all the time there. Well, but, the Andes yeah, no, Mountains are just down it, the it range there, Karen. very interesting and, and extremely culturally enlightening. What was your favourite city? Altogether, of anywhere? Yeah. Um, so wonderful. Well, so from an educational point of view, what's the one that intrigued you the most? Forget about the fun. What was the most well, that intrigued you? You said, let's go sightseeing today, Tammy. Yeah, I would say probably Rio. And interestingly enough, they, you know, they're a banana republic. You keep getting back to Rio, darling. Rio, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, but it's different. Like, the first time we went there, well, for example, we were there, though, their currency was the Cruzeiro back then. Well, I think by the time we left, we got like 100 Cruzeiros to the American dollar. By the time we left, it was it was like 40, <laughs> you know, and that was in like less than six Inflation weeks. does tend it to fluctuate there. But the people there, they had to live. Oh, my God, there's no one cares. They just <laughs> do what they like. They're always happy. And, mm. um, they're, yeah, I, I, I loved Brazil. I really did. You're on Sport and Life with Sam Kambich and Leon Wigger, and our special guest today is Karen Ma. Uh, Karen, um, in that you were an international player for ten or eleven years, uh, and you said first uh, when you first went away, you were newbies and all that. Who were your early coaches? Were they blokes coaching the girls in those days? And when did the women coaches take over? Um, well, we've only had two women coaches, three women coaches, I think. Um, they've mainly been men coaches. There were men, males coaching now uh, in my day. And then Tom Ma was, um, you know, probably the best coach um, that I'd ever played under. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a matter of it has to be a women's coach because it, it was always the best coach got the job. And if you're a male, well, so be it. If you're a female, so be it. So, um yeah, I mean, I played under both and both men and women, and you know, never a problem anywhere there with coaching, because you, it was an honour to play for Australia, and you were just, you know, you just wanted to go there and do well, and you want to do the teamy thing, and all just be in it together. And uh, yeah, like I said, you, you you make lifelong friendships from it, and and yeah, I never had any problem with any of the coaches. You touched and used a very very pertinent word then. You said it was an honour to play for Australia. Fast, yeah, and I totally concur with you. 
But fast forward now to the contemporary times, I don't get the feeling that that's the case when you look at the current, the uh, the landscape of the opals. You know, some of the implosion that takes place between no, certain... Look, I think you're you're heading towards Liz Cambridge there. Well, I am. And, I was yeah. going to mention, well, I, I wasn't skirting around the outfit. I was going to ask you about yeah. Liz Cambridge's behaviour and our reluctance to play the, for her country. Yeah, I think all the girls that play for the Opals and, you know, pretty much every girl I can I know, and I know most of them, that play for the Opals think it's an absolute honour and to be there. Unfortunately, with Liz, um, she sort of had a few issues and this was just uh, what happened in Las Vegas was just sort of the final straw really people tiptoeing around her and playing the game and I mean I think you know when you say there's no I in team I think Liz would have found a way to say well you know what there's a me in team Mm, beautifully diplomatically put now if I may just uh, briefly interrupt you as a a part of this segment I don't know whether you're aware of not we reward our stars. Well, this is sponsored by Mitchelton Wines. Uh, mm, Jerry Ryan, whom you may know, yes. Now, I don't know whether you're partial to a brief libation or not, but I suspect you might be. We have some of the most beautiful reds and the whites. And what we normally do, we reward our star talent with a couple of bottles of the same, uh, which Leon's in, uh, is in charge of that. So he will be... Uh, if you believe that... <laughs> so we'll be furnishing you with a couple of bottles of our favourite print or, you know, one of the uh, Chardonnays or whatever you so desire. The only yeah. thing I'll bring to your well, attention, well, you do reside in Warrnambool. Freight's an issue. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> Leon, Leon doesn't travel with outside of radius he, of about half a kilometre from his home. Not one bottle's made it outside of 100 metres from his home. I, I get a. We've had. We've been doing. I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. We've been doing this for two years. I've had 84 irate customers still waiting for their first bottle. But I wanted to have it on record that you are in receipt of two bottles of the finest Mitchelton product. I'll give them to Stu. They won't make it home, but I'll give them to Stu. Okay. We're actually we're actually off on our um, we're yearly sabbatical. Yeah, we are. We've got our Jayco motorhome, which is just fantastic, and we're heading off to Queensland soon. Yeah. Oh. A few months. Fantastic. Mm. Well, There's you a lot wish- of people doing that now, Leon, aren't they? Uh, you, know, you know, caravanning and uh, yeah. Jayco home. Oh, and- well, they can't keep up with the manufacturing. No, I know. No, I know. Well, this, this um, the motorhome, it's not like a caravan. It's just amazing. It's got everything. No, it's I know. Got- Jerry's a good motorhome. We've had a look at them. But Leon still... Fantastic. Look, you're talking to the wrong people here. Leon still resides at the Heights and the Hiltons of the world. <laughs> Got penthouse, he wouldn't know what it's like. He couldn't spell caravan. He wouldn't know what, he wouldn't know what door to enter. Uh, K-A... <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're a lot of fun. A lot of mates of mine have, uh, have opted for a caravan or a car- uh, uh, home. Yeah. And all the uh, venues now cater for them, uh, Leon. Oh, I do. They have that 240-volt power or whatever power they use. It's a big thing. And you see them everywhere, people sitting at the front with their little table, table for two, make a nice cup of Lipton's and a sandwich and a bickey, and they get their lives back together. And even I've noticed recently, I've had on good information, a couple of broken broken homes, you know, uh, where they've had to try to reconciliate or try to get back together again. 
and the caravan has been rated as the top priority to get your marriage back on track. Is that a fact? Yes, I thought it was the other way. <laughs> well, a motorhome, more importantly. A motorhome. Yeah, no, you, got an issue. You, you really are on top of each other the whole time. I don't know how that's going to work. But well, anyway. that's what they were hoping for. That's why they built them that way. Well, we're going to produce more Australians. <laughs> but the, the beauty about travelling in the van is that, like, you go all down the coast and all the prime real estate on the beach are caravan parks. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. You walk out of the van onto the sand. It's just yeah. No, it's a stack of fun. I know. Look, I can't wait. When are you going to get one, Leon? Uh, well, I'm, I'm still just being waiting built. for mine in the mail. Hey, um, Karen, it's a lovely, yeah. talk, lovely talking to you, and it's uh, you were congratulations on being a real trailblazer in world sport. Uh, that trip to China. Uh, that'll live in your memory for ages. What about yeah. Lauren Jackson? Just quickly, Leon, can yeah, I just touch well, on? I want to tell you, big, big Lauren Jackson. Well, yeah. well, yeah. well it's, she's uh, been training hard, working for the last, well, since November, really, to get back into playing. I don't know whether her goal initially was to try and play for Australia again, but um, she's been just killing it. In, I know it's not exact, it's only NBLW uh, second league, but... She's now been put into the camp so that she's going to try out for it. And, look, if she's anywhere near half her best, she should make the team. She's an amazing player. She's got a good attitude. No one tries harder. She's teamy. You know, she's a big player. We need it, desperately need a centre to cover for Liz. And her biggest issue is going to be whether her body holds up because uh, she had, you know, obviously her knee and, and things, she had issues with her body, her back and what have you. So, um, look, I'm, I'm, you know, in anticipation of it and I hope she kills it at the training camp and makes a team, I really do. Because if she, if she can get anywhere near to being the player she was, look out, everybody. She's amazing. How really. big is she, by the way? How tall? 6'8". Six, 6'8". Eight. Six, eight, no, yeah. it's not 6'8". She'd be probably 6'5". Oh, uh, high heels, I meant. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, She's nine uh, foot with our umbrella, right? But uh, Loz isn't quite as tall as Liz. Liz is 6'8". But I, I, look, don't quote me, but I'd say about 6'5". But that doesn't matter. She makes up for it in every She's amazing. But she's a good so, ad- yeah, we'll yeah. just keep, keep everything crossed and hope that she has a fantastic camp and her body holds up and she's back playing in the green and gold. I mean... Do you still go to the games? Do you, do you still get invited by the hierarchy to attend and yes, have a chat yes, with I them? Get, and I get invited to all those things. When you're a Hall of Fame, you get invited to everything. So, but I, you know, being living in Warrnambool, it's not that easy. And, and we're, now that we're travelling so much, you know, with the van and everything, you know, it's just you got to plan ahead with your van and all that and where you're staying and everything. So just, you know, if, if it fits in, I'll go, you know, simple do as that. Us, do us a favour, will you, and call it the Jaco van? It is. Yeah. It's a Jaco motorboat. <laughs> it's a Jaco motorboat, Jerry Ryan, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. keep us, keep us uh, posted on your travels and uh, how far does it feel, how does a tank full of uh, petrol take you? Say, if you leave Warrnambool... What's your first stop? If I'm going to know that. South Warrnambool? (laughs) But where will you go? How long will it take you to go to Queensland? How long have you planned? Well, you just break it up. I mean, we just, we take our time. I mean, we we I think we're booked in, the highest will go is probably Palm Cove. I think we're booked in there in sometime in August, late August, September or something. But we're taking off in a couple of weeks. Do you both drive? Yeah, yeah, we both, oh, it's easy to drive. Fantastic. 
I was a bit nervous to start with. I thought, oh, God, it's a big truck. But it is so easy to drive. It's just a breeze. No problem at all. Karen, we wish you and Stu well yeah. uh, on, on your trip. Say hello to him for us. And uh, we've enjoyed having you on Sport and Life. And good luck to you, Karen. And well done on that terrific basketball career of yours. Well, thanks very much, Leon, Sam. It's been great. Thanks, well, Thanks uh, for having me. Make sure there's someone home all the time because Leon will be dropping these, this package. <laughs> you got to be home to accept them because he's uh, very finicky like that. I'll, no, be by, I'll be waiting by the door. You're on Sport and Life. Right. We look forward to your company again next week. <laughs>